the Colin Ford storyline in Love Actually is pretty much inspired by this movie. Hello there, and welcome to The Recommendation Game, a film of the week podcast. No, it's a bi-weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other has not seen. We watch them separately and then Skype to discuss them. My name is Orla McLeanis. My name is Ricardo Deacon. My name? <laughs> you are listening to Dublin Digital Radio. This week's film is Le Grand Illusion from 1937. <laughs> A group of French soldiers, including the patrician captain de Belgieu and the working-class lieutenant Marichel, grapple with their own class differences after being captured and held in a World War I German prison camp. When the men are transferred to a high-security fortress, they must concoct a plan to escape beneath the watchful eye of aristocratic German officer von Rofenstein, who has formed an unexpected bond with de Belgieu. Again, I'm sorry, Franz. Uh, this week's film was chosen by Ricardo. It was indeed. Ricardo, repeat offender, John Renoir. Jean? Jean, yes. Jean. Not John. <laughs> hey, Johnny boy. Uh, why did you pick this film? Well, like, uh, I really like this movie, so that's uh, as good a reason <laughs> as any, uh, I suppose. I picked it because I liked it. But I, I also think that it is, like, when we're talking about great movies, let's say, it just happens to be another one of Renoir's movies, is that sometimes when I'm struggling, I'm like, what great movies I know that you haven't seen that are considered the best of a genre, or, like, the original, like, the proge- progenerator of a certain type of filmmaking? Like, Rififi, uh, for example, being... Rififi. Yeah. Mon homme est assis par la coule Toute la fin de journée il se les roule Il a beaucoup de philosophie mais il aime trop la rififi The origin of the modern uh, heist movie and in certain mm. ways like Seven Samurai being the the father of adventure movies Yeah and this is pretty much the uh, original prison escape movie in a way. Mm. But there, there's been like movies. I don't know if like a man escape is older or not. Uh, but it's such a different kind of movie. Let's say that even though plot wise uh, somebody escapes from prison, I think that this is the movie that really like set the tone for movies like. Um, Escape from Alcatraz, uh, pretty much any escape movie, even the, the the other war movie that we watched, the like digging the tunnel, like Le True, yeah, uh, Great Escape as well. There's loads of other movies that borrowed the structure, let's say, of the escape genre, which is like a subgenre of prison movies, I suppose, um, mm. and also like a subgenre of war movies as well. So it's kind of like overlapping everywhere it's not only i think an amazing film when it comes to just like pure enjoyment when it comes to 
a prison movie, escape movie, even you were saying like a love story, but a love story between many characters. Um, and also as a generic war movie, I think that it does really well to encapsulate the idea of especially the First World War. But like anything that Renoir makes, it's there's a lot more in it than just the the surface level enjoyment of the movie. And it's partly why I love him as a filmmaker, because you can watch it and just enjoy the movie and forget about the quote unquote messaging. And because the messaging is so clear, but not hitting over you, hitting you over the head with what the movie is trying to say. It, it's not flicking sugar cubes at you. Exactly. And it's, <laughs> it, it uses like, it doesn't like for a movie with as many characters as it has it doesn't use archetypes in a way that a lot of movies would have used it as a like a shorthand or when it mm -hmm. does it kind of undermines them kind of the like um uh, whatchamacallit even like the comedic psychic or whatever uh julien henri carette who is great in every single movie that he's in <laughs> the thing that this movie and rules of the game share is that it, there are movies trying to, in his own way through art, to try to stop a Second World War. And, like, obviously he failed in the attempt. But, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it doesn't make the undertaking less noble and less necessary as well, because it's always interesting when somebody, like, uses whatever channel they can to try to make a difference but it, it's incredible how the movies actually work in a modern context. I think that there is only two ways of making an effective war movie. And the <clears throat> one way is to do what Come and See did. That is absolutely destroy you in the sense of like if it's showing you conflict. It, yeah, it, but but not cool conflict. Oh yeah, it's absolute <laughs> the every single person. It's, I I can't remember what list came out that is like worst characters uh. in movie history, and it was like the entire cast of Come and See was number one, <laughs> and I think that that works as an anti-war movie because it makes you feel like you've been to war, in a way not of like entertainment there is no glory. or anything. You feel like PTSD almost from watching it. But the other way of making an anti-war movie, I don't, I don't think you can do it like through uh, depicting conflict as in like conflict in a realistic way. I think that something like Black Cutter goes forth does uh, a good example of like showing the front, but more like the absurdity of a war rather mm -hmm. than because as soon as you film an action scene, it's very hard to not make it cool. You know, like, uh, <laughs> yes, that even the, the way the Malik got around it was by making it boring and like people uh, criticize him for it. But it's like if you're just charging up a hill, it's boring. But like you're going to get killed. Yeah. But over and over after, again, like the first two minutes <clears throat> of like adrenaline, then it's like, oh, I'm going to get killed now, whatever. And in the case that Renoir, like it, you could say, like originated in. In, in here is because there are things from before covering the first world war that were like quote unquote anti-war like all quiet on the western front etc but like Renoir uses it more like not in the sense of 
oh look how ridiculous the war is it's more how how ridiculous it is that like people they're exactly the same being in a conflict and being completely patriotic and thinking that they should be in the war but there's nothing separating them except that fucking border that it's said in the end mm. and it's like one of those beautiful moments of cinema that if anybody else did it it'd be oh my god you told me the theme of the movie and i like it'd be like a chris columbus moment or something that is like is the audience stupid or what like let's make sure that we we hit you over the head with it but because it comes from a, a not only that has been set up for the entire movie and that comes at the very end of the movie is that it's also said in a tone that is so weary because they, even like just before then they're like talking about going back to the front joining the the battle again mm. and then it's like for what you know like you and then just after that you have the german soldier shooting at them and like the sergeant going <laughs> stop shooting they're in switzerland oh good for them <laughs> and so funny. i love how they're filmmakers that like i'm both a cynic and a romantic i don't know how that can be but it is the case and <laughs> being a cynic it's very hard to to allow myself to open to actual emotions and like good feelings for movie text or anything <clears throat> but when it hits me it hits me so hard that i become a romantic and this movie <laughs> does that that it's like i think that he presents the the same way that like Blackadder presents an absolute farce of like an an unreality in its a world that has its own logic but it's unreal. Renoir does the same, but like his example is the world that like people as they should be rather than people as they are in a way that they're all completely self aware also of their position in society. And I think that the movie goes to great lengths also to which is revolutionary for 1937. The, the real conflict is between classes rather than between nations mm. because like two uh, patricians, which is like another word for aristocrat. aristocrat. Oh. Uh, I don't yeah. know why that is a <clears throat> word, but it's usually, it's weird that they described it as that, like uh, that they're patrician because it's usually used as an adjective about appearance, that they look patrician, that you look like an aristocrat. Mm. Usually means that you look inbred. But, um, <laughs> but, literally, but also like a dress session and stuff like that. But, uh, that the movie goes to great lengths also to, to show that it's like, people you you're able to relate to each other but never cross that threshold because there's like your life another imaginary line yeah exactly but because your life experiences are so different that it's like that line in the um we stand alone together the documentary about panda brothers but like with the guys from panda brothers that like shifty powers is like like I probably had more in common with some of these people they are shooting at than like the people in the like I might like to hunt and he might like to fish, like uh, I might like like jazz music <laughs> and he might like yeah the line <laughs> that <laughs> a crossable line between hunting and fishing. 
And and I think in general, like I like I said, I think I, it's a movie that I really enjoy watching. Uh, but it's also I think a movie that, particularly modern day, that it's I think that'd be interesting if somebody was able to make a movie like this, that shows you what the world could be right now rather than what it is like in division, etc. That like I think you have to go back, but to comment on the present with the past, let's say, of where we can meet in the middle as people let's say and i think it's a ultimately uh, a, a very optimistic movie even though it uh, perhaps didn't especially in 1937 there was a period that didn't warrant optimism but uh, without further ado that was a real war <laughs> without further ado uh, what did you think orla yeah, I really like this. Uh, <laughs> obviously, that wasn't clear. Um, yeah, um, I think I think I know why. Also, uh, what's interesting about this film is that it uh, it managed to fall into the the life and death of Colonel Blimp camp rather than the oh what a lovely war camp, uh, <laughs> which like they're films with similar messages, like all three films. Um, yeah, and I, I tried to work out what, what it was, and it's, you know, like, oh, is it because it's French? And, you know, like, there's not really many British characters in this, except in one very one very pivotal moment of miscommunication that I think is delightful. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I think I think it's Renoir. Um, this film, it's not really a war film, kind of a lot in the way that Colonel Blimp wasn't really a war film. It was It was more about, like, masculinity and like the aristocracy than anything else and and like how candy becomes such a like tragic figure um and i i never really thought about i think this is now your fault but uh i never really thought about like the turn of the century and world war one and it was it was never really a time that i would ever really think about and how the amount of change that was happening as like world war one started and and like the the change in society as well. Um, it's like my my cultural touch point or touchstone for that point in history always remains Downton Abbey. And I don't know what it is. It was was like the first two or three seasons of that show were really good. Like it's obviously complete and utter like, uh, well, yes, it's it's poppycock. And it also does this like rather unsettling in retrospect, kind of a, glorifying of the aristocracy that's the, f- the funny thing about that show is that like ultimately it paints them as as a positive force in uh british society this sort of like upper class family because they're nice to their servants <laughs> like it's kind of fucked up really but uh i still love that show but um because it moves from literally the first episode of the sinking of the titanic to moving into the end of the first season the beginning of world war one and because it has uh, various characters from upstairs and downstairs as it were uh, going to war together and how the class system kind of worked even as they're in the trenches and stuff um, it is very interesting and then ultimately like you know that there's a whole other thing on the Spanish flu and like all the other things that were happening at the same time but um, still love that show even if it is deeply problematic in retrospect but uh, yeah it's I thought about Colonel Blimp so much actually um also because that film has uh, such a strong bromance at its heart 
and like you know of of men you know going through life and aging and the feeling of like becoming irrelevant and stuff as well and and almost like living too long and um but yeah like they're they're yes delightful romance there's a well there's a there's a romance and there's also like the romance between the men as well which is uh like god i mean the scene where the guy dies like it, it doesn't quite rival the the big the big speech in colonel blunt but it's still very very touching because it's like you know you you get to die in war like you have this honorable you know this this honorable death let's say and, and like i have to keep going and it's you know like you understand me we are men you know we're men they're becoming irrelevant as that this like whole sort of upper class system starts to uh dissolve um there's also actually a kind of an interesting uh reference to how like the women's role in society is changing which Downton Abbey also tackles but uh <laughs> how uh like oh the short hairstyles and like you know it's it's all very comical but it's funny that this film includes it because like women's role changing is such a important part of of the the move into the 20th century um so I thought kind of interesting that he includes it but he does it through having the clothes there and then like you know they all do the sort of the vaudeville thing of like putting on the clothes and stuff but uh i love that scene did, as well. uh, like whenever the yeah. the soldiers even the german soldiers stop whenever the the guy comes out dressed as a yeah. woman that is an incredible shot where it, it moves through them and they're 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 all literally paused in in midair just for like it's not even a long it's not even a long uh, sequence that, but it's literally just where the kind of the camera pulls around and you just like, where you know he's sort of like awkwardly standing there in in women's clothes, and uh, it's a really beautiful shot. It kind of reminded me of, um, you know, in Children of Men, whenever they're in the building that's getting like shelled, and uh, she's carrying the baby, and all the soldiers stop and just stare at her as. And there's just silence, like they completely cease fire as she just walks up the stairs and they're all like completely entranced by this like alien thing that they've forgotten. You know, it's like this, I love that boat. Great film. Um, yeah, <laughs> just going back to the bromance, sorry, before I forget. Uh, whenever he, uh, whenever he cuts his flower, I like in my head, I, 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 I kind of imagined that he was going to like lay the flower kind of at his grave or whatever and I literally I shouted he gave him the flower <laughs> it's like, oh. um, yeah this uh, I really love the um, uh, how it demonstrates how the the many divides let's say that there are you know most of which are just sort of like invented you know, uh, completely um, arbitrary barriers but also like very real, real barriers like language um, there's so many moments, um, and actually, before I forget, there's one thing I had to say, I watched this on, uh, the Criterion, and, uh, the subtitles were quite hit and miss at times, uh, yeah, I, I, I watched it the... through Criterion as well, yeah, in, like, various ways, they were a little, and I wondered if I'd, like, missed certain things as well, because, like, there's so much of this where, like, the timing of, of, of when like lines are said and exactly what people say is very important um but uh uh there are so many just like delightful moments of of just 
the inability to express yourself to someone even when you're trying so hard and it's not that the person doesn't want to understand you it's just that you can't there's like you can't bridge that divide uh particularly that moment whenever he's like trying to tell the british guy that about the tunnel he's <laughs> just like oh thank you very much oh totally good oh don't speak french and like he sounds very posh i call bullshit on the fact that that guy would not speak french but um well like he is british uh, so probably not <laughs> um yeah then also with the the sort of the romance at the end with uh uh i think her name was elsa or, or eliza or something um of them like being unable to like quite speak each other's language, but being able to speak the language of love. Uh, it's what the I Colin Ford say... si- the Colin Ford storyline in Love Actually is pretty much inspired by this movie. Oh Jesus, it's so ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I have to say, uh, <laughs> I did. I had a very Ricardo problem while watching this film. Um, Basically, <laughs> that one of the actors reminded me so much of another actor, it was almost distracting. Uh, Marichel, uh, that actor is Jean Gabin, uh, he looks exactly like Kenneth Branagh. Like, it, it just as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh my god, that is so distracting. And I have to say that we can't, we can't mention Sir Kenneth without pointing out that he cheated on Emma Thompson. And I will never forgive him for this. Uh, I'm probably the only that... person in the English-speaking world that has like saw Jean Gabin before Kenneth Branagh. So, like for me, it's Kenneth Branagh looks like Jean Gabin <laughs> because I watched this movie whenever I was like 15, I think. <laughs> what? War? Yeah. No, it's more like I was like I. There's a lot of movies and music in fairness that I got into because of. Don't don't know if you remember that like Channel Four used to do like the top hundred musicals, the top hundred. Yep. And there was like the yep. top hundred war movies, and this was like in the I top have thirty. VHS tapes full of those recorded in various places, and it annoys me greatly that Channel Four doesn't seem to have kept those hundred greatest things because there's like the hundred greatest movie stars that uh, I watched because we taped like most of it i think my sister taped all the actors that she knew and they're all the actors that she liked so we don't have the full 100 it's like why would you not keep that on 4od they were great great episodes and also it's like the fact that people that they got to talk about them so even if the list was kind of like yeah dodgy or whatever the talking heads were great uh although some of them are kind of problematic now which is sort of funny oh um, yeah but like uh, uh, <laughs> it was a great introduction to a lot of things i think that it's like uh, yeah. uh, uh, at least for me uh, i think uh, like i wouldn't have got into this movie or whatever that i got this in stalag 15 that is another uh, movie about like uh prisoner war escape from first world war <laughs> where like randomly i think in the um, in the library VHS collection in Clonodoxon Library, you know, like how people just give like random movies, and I watched them, and, yeah. and then I, I liked it. I, I, I'm not gonna say that I didn't like it whenever I watched it first, but I thought it was alright, and then. I kept reading about like both war and movies, and by the time I got to college, I was like, just this movie keeps popping up, as in like. Even when reading about like philosophical terms like humanism and stuff like that, Renoir is always 
the humanist director like uh, of the 30s similarly as Ozu and Korosmaki mm-hmm. as well like uh, perhaps that is like a Thor line between like some of my favorite directors but it's like so weird because that like Pyle and Pressburger yeah also. exactly that is like this kind mm-hmm. of trusting the better angels of our nature rather than uh, the demons that actually lurk below our eyes but the <laughs> the, the thing is the, the <laughs> I don't like theater too deep for me <laughs> I prefer cycling or as the subtitle said bicycling yeah. <laughs> like the Tour de France but like uh, uh, when I watched it then I rented it out in college because they had it in the DVD collection in college as well when I watched it the second time, I was like, whoa, there's way more things going on here. Because when I was 15, it's like, oh, they escaped. <laughs> you know, you're... Yeah. For, and what's hilarious about this film is like a prison escape movie. Like, I didn't think about it whenever I was watching it. It does obviously is one of the very first, uh, if not the first prison escape movie. Uh, the, the escapes are kind of low stakes uh, <laughs> in a lot of ways because like... It's, yeah, I, I don't know, it's like a lot of the time because, ever you know, there's such respect between everybody and the officers and they're just like, you know, oh, if, if I was in, if, if you know, like the, from the officers who were kind of in charge point of view that he's like, well, if I was in your prisoner of war camp, I would assume that you would treat me with respect. So it's like, I don't really want to be here. I don't really want to have to harm you. So let's all just get along. Uh, like, so it's like whenever people do actually get shot or injured in this movie, it's very traumatic because it's like nobody they really didn't want to do it yeah like whenever they're carrying <laughs> yeah. the, the british soldier that got shot behind the where the tunnel yeah. they were like the houses where they were gonna <laughs> dig so that's why like they take longer to escape because they have to dig further mm-hmm. because they know that that's not a safe area to come out that like they're like oh they look distraught for killing this man and it's like we had to shoot him don't feel good about it. And even it. when uh, uh, the Count shoots uh, Bodio, the, uh, mm-hmm. first he apologizes because he was aiming at, at his legs. But even like just whenever he shoots him, he's so not understanding mm-hmm. of what happened. And he's almost relieved when they tell him that like the other two lads escaped. Because then he can process why he had to shoot the guy and why the guy did what he did. Because otherwise it would have been pointless. Mm. He does say, he's like, ah, that's why. That's why he was distracting me because he knew. And he's like, I respect him for distracting me for his his man. I I respect the man for escaping. But I do not respect myself for having to shoot him. (laughs) There's a very like palpable sense of just like, Ugh. <laughs> like why is this not done come on like but also a very uh a very like it's very poignant just the feeling of how little control that these people have over their own lives like even even the count or even because they're everyone is just stuck in their own lane like there's no oh well up until this point and like you know society will begin to change but at the same time like there's no way for you to transcend where you are in life. And like, because this is the 1910s, like war or not, your life expectancy is not very long. Also like the, 
depending on what class you're in, your life expectancy is very different. So they, they, there's a real sense of just the, like... It's ugh. like if you're the cancer and gout will be yeah. a poor man's disease in the future. Yeah. God, Jesus. Uh, yeah, I can't, while I was watching this, I kept thinking of the, uh, like, the phrase, like, comic civility. <laughs> that makes sense. I, I just, I love how, like, to the end, they are gentlemen, first and foremost. Um, well, I didn't, I, like, knew absolutely nothing about this film whenever I, I put it on. Uh, and I, initially, I didn't realize it was World War One, and I was like, wait a minute, that's okay, this is World War One. Uh, but when, like, so... <laughs> The film just kind of throws you in there as well. There's no real like, so they go off. You don't see the plane crash. They just, they tell you that the plane has crashed. And now they've been like captured. It's like, oh, bring them to dinner. And it's like, what? And they, like, they bring them in and they're there. And like, Marichelle is talking to, uh, to like a German guy. And he's like, oh, well, what, what did you do before the war? It's like, oh, I was a mechanic and such and such. And he's like, oh, God, I'm a mechanic too. It's like, and they're there and he's like you know oh he's like oh you're not eating the meat he's like oh well you know i my arm is in a sling so i can't he's like oh here i'll cut up your food for you <laughs> i was like what and then i had to take a break because we were going to get food and uh we were sitting outside eating tacos and i was like telling john i was like this film is so strange it's like like funny but also i was like i don't know how much of this is real and like <laughs> But then as the film progressed and I was like, ah, this reminds me even more and more of uh, of uh, the, uh, what do you call it, Colonel Blimp. But uh, it is like, there's so many hilarious lines in this and like hilarious moments, like even from like the very start, whatever uh, he's making, uh, he's like, oh, you have to make your special punch, which also made me think of, <laughs> you Calvinistic petty pinching Scott. Uh. Uh, <laughs> Nobody tapas with the resume. Uh, whenever he's like, oh, you have to make your special punch. And he goes up to the, the bartender. He's just listing off like 50 different types of alcohol and then pineapples. And <laughs> I was like, where are they getting pineapples? And then like, the middle of this war. And then like the next scene, you can see there's like a fishbowl in the middle of the table with what clearly is like this. <laughs> I wonder is there uh, somewhere out there in the in the internet um, has someone written up that recipe and can we make it and you know drink it next time we watch Band of Brothers or something? Well, like it then um, die within like twenty two seconds. <laughs> any any final thoughts? Any things you'd like to bring up before we wrap up? Um, no, look, I I enjoyed uh, how many other films this made me think of, uh, and films like that we've done that we really liked as well, like Le True and uh, 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 Colonel Blimp. Um, but I also thought of like because we've obviously done a lot of French movies, um, mostly thanks to me. Uh, but I mean, I think of uh, uh, Le Circle Rouge um, and like the kind of the uh, and Rufifi as well, like it, just the kind of the care and the the sort of attention of, of planning these uh of these like heists or escapes and stuff and and what i love about this film is that they have this whole system that ultimately is for nothing because they just get moved to another camp um and it's funny like i thought uh as i was watching it i was like this is going very well for them i was like at which point are they going to get shipped to the really bad prison camp uh and it never happens like they get sent to the, the like um because you, you think it's gonna because the film kind of does this sort of funny moment of like where it's going along and it keeps passing 
each like a uh, uh, prisoner of war camp and like going and going and going and going and then like you find you you know it's like where are they going to end up and they end up in this like castle in the hills of like the fortress that you can't escape from the film never really it's not a dark film at all but it's not a, necessarily a very positive film either like there there are no real like there's no real good and bad everyone is sort of on the same level ultimately but like it's there's such a feeling of like sadness to it because it's like even at the end when they get into Switzerland, you know, like uh, <laughs> like the von traps, uh, <laughs> like that's all I thought of. <laughs> I know that's not is it Switzerland they escaped to? Yeah, yeah, because they get quite Austria into Switzerland. Uh, climb every mountain, um, you know, and they they escape, but like just before that, when the, the Germans let them go and stuff, uh, they they have that conversation where it's like you know, well, we're going to end up probably back on the fucking front again. You know, like, the, like I, I don't know what the timeline of this film is. I wasn't actually sure what year this was supposed to be. Like, how close to the, like the end of the war. The end would have been, like, about 1917, 1918. So it would have been, like, like the kind of what you could see. It's, like, the people then, the, like, the German army mm. becomes, like, either younger and younger or older and older as the movie progressed mm. because all the fighting men of fighting age were aging out <laughs> no getting killed in the front mm. so like being sent off so then like to do things like guard prison and stuff you have like really old men or really young boys that's why like they keep uh look at them outside kids playing like uh, yeah. being soldiers <laughs> soldiers and, uh, playing inside yeah. soldiers or being kids yeah, I, I really enjoyed this film. Uh, what was your favorite thing? I'm glad you did. Um, my favorite thing is Renoir. Yes. Overall. Like, I think that he's... Uh, like, every single movie that I've seen of his... Even, like, the weird genre... Like, there's a really weird movie that I call the locomotive serial killer movie. <laughs> called... Uh, the human beast that is with uh, Sean Caban from this movie and also the vaudeville actor. Ah. Uh, and it is, it's like a really recommend to watch it. Like, I think it's one of like lower tier Renoir mm. kind of thing. It's still amazing. And also, I love how specific it is because they're like two, a two man team in a locomotive. And like so much of the movie is about them just doing their job living the life Hell of being yes. like a locomotive operator like stopping like how it works how do you get lunch how do you where do you sleep how's your routine how's how do you have a family life like mm. all these things you know that is like your life is by the trail kind of thing and it is a very strange movie but it's great in itself but <laughs> even whenever he's killer. doing like uh, uh even when he's doing a locomotive serial killer movie <laughs> it is uh it is strangely kind of like huge it has so many like little memorable moments mm. that like the moment encapsulates this movie for me because everything usually when you film or at least you edit it's there for a reason Especially when you're doing a period piece, because it's not like uh, making a film about modern Dublin and I just point the camera somewhere and 
Jervis Street or whatever, and you can see people. Ugh. Oh, that's an amazing shot or whatever. Not Jervis Street. <laughs> uh, whatever. Like, I'm sorry, uh, Jervis Street. I miss you. I mean, it's been so long. <laughs> but like the, you can like hit on something that is completely by chance within like crowd or people, or whatever, because it's a modern movie. But if you're doing a period piece, you have to make sure that everybody's dressed correctly. Everything is right. So if you're going to have something in the movie, it is very specific. You chose it to be there. And when the movie starts doing the montage of them going from camp to camp and being in the train rides, there's one moment that the camera pans around, like following the train as they were passing a train station. The camera looks back into the train station and you see like a a really young German soldier coming back from the front on leave and just asking like something to the to the station master or something. Mm. And it was such a little human moment with so much life. It's like, what has he been through? Like how difficult must be like the you come back and you sit there with your family and have dinner and you were like in the front two days ago yeah and it's this whole complete thing in For like a, a two second yeah. shot and i think that the movie takes that approach with everything that it tries to find those moments into every little bit of the movie that is it's like it makes you think of like the kind of director that is like um I can't remember what who director was like the there's like a story of like the bottle scene going in the background. It's not even Malik the like bottle scene going in the background and the guy like realizes that there's like really nice sunset going on. <laughs> so, like, they're spending all this money on one side, like shooting it. And he's that like, is oh, very but Malik. This is the moment that we c- <laughs> Yeah, but like, but I know that it's like an older reference. Mm. So it'd be like that the whole thing is going up there and they go like, oh, yeah, but here's what like the real beauty is. And I think that Renoir is not a somebody that would be finding that on set. Like he wouldn't know that. But like whenever building the movie, he's so in touch with the messaging that the movie is meant to have even like defending in a way the soviet revolution in a way by going like perhaps not go that far (laughs) but it's like when your your serena has the right to send you a package and she sends you book books when you're in prison it's this like disconnect (laughs) between like and then they burn them (laughs) yeah there's a moment where they're like we can't burn books. Oh my God. It's like, even in the moment, the characters are like, this is fucked. <laughs> and I, I, I just love the fact that he's able to, like, you can talk about his movies and talk about like text, subtext and all these things, but you never notice while you're watching them. Mm. It's kind of like the, it's there when you think about it afterwards, but when you're watching it, it's like, no, this is the guy that means this, you know, like uh, this is the this is happening because he he wants to uh, allude to this other thing or whatever. Is that everything is so embedded within the story that 
it feels like things that have been like written and rewritten and rewritten and rewritten that like the first draft would be people standing up going this is what i believe and like <laughs> every single he strips it he strips it all the way back to like <laughs> what is necessary yeah that in each draft he just goes make it more subtle make it more subtle <laughs> make it more subtle and then like 20 drafts later you have a person <laughs> you know what i mean like oh that's beautiful uh, what is your favorite thing? Uh, oh, it's definitely Red War. Um, uh, but we say this a lot, but there's there's something very comforting about being in like good hands. <laughs> of like, like as I was watching this, I was never afraid. Like sometimes when you watch films and you're like, oh no, where where are you going? Careful now, careful now. And you never feel that when you're watching this. And like. It's not just that you're like, oh, it's like a classic movie and, you know, it's like, oh, it's just the way movies were. It's like, not, there's like, there's so few filmmakers at any point in history who have the ability to just make something that is this, not perfect, but this, like, controlled and where, like, every moment feels, like, important and necessary and, but never... Like this, this film doesn't take itself too seriously either, which is very important. Like there's, there's a lack of like, uh, wankery, <laughs> let's say yeah, at, like at the, any point, if, uh, you know, even in the ending or in the, in death scenes or in everything, everything feels very human, uh, which is incredibly difficult. And <laughs> like, you know, we've been lucky enough to, we've been lucky enough <laughs> What does that mean? Uh, well, yeah, okay. We've been lucky enough to be able to talk about a lot of filmmakers like that, and uh, it's it's always enjoyable whenever you you like put on the film, you know nothing about it, and you're just like, ah, yes, I'm going to settle into this now. And I, I kind of I felt it a bit while watching Tam Popo as well, and like how like that film was so different to this, and completely bananas. But I felt very like. Uh, in he was in control of his vision basically and i feel the same thing here and it's a very like it's funny uh, i had a very nice weekend of uh, of watching sort of like little collections of films that like the where the themes sort of reminded me of each other where i watched um the booksellers which is a documentary about um where book dealers uh that i didn't expect to like as much as i did i it I really, really liked it. And afterwards, I was like, because it's like, you know, booksellers in New York. And I was like, I have to watch Can You Ever Forgive Me? I was like, I have to. That's exactly what I need to watch right now. And I put that on and like, uh, Marielle Heller is another filmmaker like that where uh, you just, you feel so safe in her hands, I guess. And like, I I really, I really, really love her. And uh, and then I watched uh, this film then i watched um take taylor soldier spy and then i watched their finest and like it just felt correct it was like the right little trilogy of films to watch and um just yeah sometimes it's the best thing about watching a film is is knowing that they're gonna look after you <laughs> if you like tinker taylor soldier spy like both yourself and anybody else i highly recommend watching the spy that came in from the cold oh. by richard burton like uh it's the based on the first john lacaray novel <laughs> mm. When he was still a spy, so he wrote it like. Um, <laughs> what a dude! That dude had a life, man. Um, uh, what, if anything, was your least favorite thing? <laughs> My least favorite thing about this movie is that there's like 
I think that there's a gap. Like, obviously, we've talked about, like, Karismaki, to a certain degree, mm-hmm. has, like, filled in the void, like, uh, especially with his last two movies, uh, like, approaching the the refugee crisis in a similar style. Uh, That's a great film, actually. I watched that with my dad. It's really good. The Other Side of Hope yeah. or Le Havre? Uh, the Other Side of Hope. Having, like, this kind of approach of using filmmaking and make like an interesting movie it's not like a fucking oh you know like you were saying about like self-importance and shit like that like i could only like fear for like a remake of this movie you know like imagine it coming out right now be somebody just like slapping the table going like pay attention to me look at the performances are so amazing look at this everything is small even like the guy playing that does like the vaudeville act Mm. he's kind of big because everybody else is so small but yeah like uh my 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 actual um least favorite thing is that there's very few filmmakers that took over the baton yeah you know there's always like the like even if like even while other directors are operating the like you know, like uh, Fincher and and fucking Soderbergh and PTA took over the kind of like technical filmmaking of Kubrick. Mm. That it just be like the technician. PTA filmmaker. actually, that's a great example of well, not with a massive ego, but also of the coldness of his films. Ultimately, of that, like, I don't think PTA likes humans. <laughs> But like, and I love his movies for it. But like, uh, what is it? PTA's like funnest movie is also like the the bleakest movie of like <laughs> fucking what's his face? Um, Boogie Nights is such a bleak movie. Like, but, yeah. <laughs> but like, Jesus. But what I mean is that like so many directors have taken over, like picked up the torch from a different director that came over, and then it it. it goes forward and forward in time until like it develops and but there's always like a filmmaker that makes that kind of movie in like major productions let's say and especially whenever it came to european cinema it kind of like bleeds into mainstream american cinema eventually as well but i don't think that anybody ever took over like the like you could argue that like capra did for a bit uh and william Mm. wilder and william wyler but kind of like the six, like another movie that is like deeply humanistic that we did. The war is like the best years of our lives. Like it's clearly boring yeah. from like Renoir, but it kind of ends like obviously in American culture it's probably like the Vietnam War. Like most things, it killed good cinema, mm-hmm. killed fucking <laughs> good music, and uh, right. So uh, we probably should wrap this up as well. So like, what's your least favorite thing in this movie? uh probably something similar um i hate the kind of like it's like oh they don't make them like this anymore but uh they've sort of just progressively stopped making them like this anymore and um, (laughs) the fact that like someone's able to make a film as subtle as this is about so many things particularly war um in 1937 and that we can't so few people are able to make films or TV shows or whatever like this is kind of depressing. But uh, yeah, I really like it though. 
I'm glad you did. I don't know if I'd be able to like <laughs> hold you as a friend. That, if you uh, <laughs> that would have been a bad one. I feel like we're on a very good run of films at the moment. Um, uh, I hope I don't break it next week, but I don't think so. I have a lot of faith in Kelly Riker. But is uh, next week's film then? Uh, next week's film is Certain Women uh, from 2018. I'm not sure when that film came out. But uh, yes, I think this is our first Kristen Stewart film. <laughs> Long overdue. <laughs> Indeed. So uh, where can they find us, Orla? Uh, they can find us on Facebook at The Recommendation Game, on Twitter at The Rec Game, and you can email us at TheRecommendationGame at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on Dublin Digital Radio every second Monday at 11 to 12 Irish time. Um, you can find us on your podcast app of choice. You can find us on Spotify, uh, nestled amongst all your favorites. Um, so yeah, uh, until two weeks time, I was Orla McInnes. And I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you then. Bye.